And we're live with JavaScript Air. Hello, everyone. My name is Kent C. Dodds, and I am your host, um, broadcasting today from PayPal offices in San Jose. Um, and today I'm going to be, uh, we're, we're joined with a couple subject matter experts on the Internet of Things with JavaScript. So this is going to be kind of a fun episode, I think. Um, but before we jump into the episode, I want to get a, give a shout-out to our sponsors. We have two new sponsors, uh, gold-level sponsors, today, and so excited to introduce them to you all. So first, our premier sponsor is Egghead.io, and uh, they have a huge library of bite-sized web development training videos. Check them out for content on JavaScript, Angular, React, Node, and much more. Frontend Masters is a recorded um, expert-led workshop with courses on advanced JavaScript, asynchronous, and functional JS, as well as lots of other great courses on front-end topics. Check them out at frontendmasters.com. TrackJS reports bugs in your JavaScript before customers notice them, and with their telemetry timeline, you'll have the context you need to actually fix them. Check them out and start tracking JavaScript errors today at trackjs.com. And then SparkPost, hooray! Spark, uh, you can count on SparkPost to provide seamless integration, the highest inbox placement rates, unsurpassed performance, and real-time insight. Get started sending 100,000 emails per month totally free at sparkpost.com. They have the sweetest uh, free tier. It's amazing. Uh, and then WebStorm is a powerful JavaScript IDE. It makes developers more productive with its super intelligent coding yeah, assistance so, for JavaScript, uh, Node, Angular, and React, and integration with lots of different tools. Learn more at jetbrains.com slash WebStorm. All right, sweet. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and uh, give a couple announcements. Remember, if you're watching live, you can uh, tweet with the hashtag JSAirQuestion, and uh, we'll answer your questions at the end of the show. So if you have an, any IoT-related questions, this is a great time to get answers. Um, and then remember, we are a weekly show, and so next week we are going to be having a show uh, same time, same place. Uh, actually, I won't be in the same place. I'll be back at home. But um, you could be in the same place. Uh, we're going to be talking about Ember. So that should be an exciting show. We're kind of continuing this theme of JavaScript frameworks, um, giving everyone exposure to the amazing ideas from lots of different angles. And then follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Google Plus to keep up with the latest. And I am almost ready to stop talking. <laughs> so let's uh, let's go ahead and introduce the people we have on the show today. Um, so we have uh, panelists. Ah, oh, shoot. Dang it. I'm sorry, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing your name wrong. <laughs> Can you pronounce your name correctly for everyone, please? Yeah, um, Ihani Ekachuku. Ihani Ekachuku. Okay. Wow. Uh, I'm really sorry. That's really embarrassing. Um, okay, and then um, <laughs> we're glad to have you. Um, then for myself, I'm Kent C. Dodds, your host, and let's introduce our guest to you all. So we have uh, Christina. Uh, no, I didn't try to practice your last name. Is it uh, Duravage? Yeah, Duravage is fine. Duravage. <laughs> Thanks, Christina. Uh, Cassandra Perch? Hi. Cassandra is actually a, a return guest. We had her at Forward JS uh, a couple, like a month or two ago, um, a live on site comfort show. It was sweet. Uh, and then we're also joined by Andy Carl. Hi there. Thank you all for joining us. Um, I'd like to give you each a second to introduce yourselves before we get into the subject of Internet of Things with JavaScript. So we'll go ahead and start out with uh, the order that I introduced you all. So, Christina, why don't you go first? 
Okay, my name is Christina. I live in Minneapolis, and I am probably most known for the tweet skirt, which is uses the uh, particle core to kind of run uh, light uh, LED array, and then um, a node back into pass messages from Twitter or Twilio or whatever. So I'm covering kind of the using JavaScript as the server uh, to to run things part of things. Love it. Um, and uh, Cassandra, I think you have something a little bit similar there. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, um, Christina. So, uh, so Christina is basically my twin. Um, I um, I'm known also for Node wearables. Some of them are full JavaScript, but I have a belt that you can tweet at, and it has colors, and it is also run on a particle photon. So, um, uh, yeah, very similar stuff going on. And uh, we have we Christina and I have discussed at length how we are basically twins. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the first time we met, we were just like comparing notes, and it's just like me too, like kind of down the line. So it worked out really well. <laughs> yeah, nice. everything from like family members having the same occupations to yeah, it's 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 ridiculous how much we have in common. Very cool, very cool. Um, Andy, why don't you go uh, introduce yourself? I'm Andy Carl. Um, I'm a director of the Kenoma team here at Marvell Semiconductor. And we broadly make uh, toolkits for people who want to bring JavaScript kind of off of the web and off of servers and into kind of real physical product design. So we do Kenoma Create and Kenoma Element, which are our uh, prototyping toolkits for product developers, and Kenoma JS, which is our JavaScript runtime and framework for JavaScript development for embedded devices. Very cool. I think we'd like to, to talk about that a little bit during the show. Um, but I think let's kind of put everybody on the same playing field here. Uh, there are likely people listening who are a little bit confused by the word things in our title. So let's start out by talking about um, what is the Internet of Things and what, what are these things that are related to the Internet? Anybody can jump in I, on this conversation. I can start with this one. So. Basically, anything you can put a microcontroller in can be a part of the Internet of Things. Um, between the particle photon costing $20 and getting you set up with a, a, a GPIOs and Wi-Fi connection, um, we have clothing, we have biometric devices, we have... I'm building a, a Dungeons & Dragons gaming table that will have lights in it um, that'll be a part of the Internet of Things. There are refrigerators. <laughs> Yeah, there's like anything you can put a microcontroller in and connect to either Wi-Fi or a local network. It can be a part of the Internet of Things, and that's part of what's so exciting about it. Mm -hmm. And on the commercial side, you might think of products like the Nest thermostat or Philips Hue light bulbs, uh, things that you can actually walk into a Home Depot or a Best Buy and come home and get onto your Wi-Fi network and then control with your phone or, or web browser over the Internet. Yeah, and then the cool thing, too, is, is like it can be controlled from anywhere you are, or it can be shared with someone else easily, which is, I guess, both good and bad if they don't think about security. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's really, really exciting to be able to, like uh, Cass was saying, just put a microcontroller and stuff, uh, especially for uh, us who just like to build kind of fun stuff, and uh, be able to think of new ways to make an interaction with other people. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Uh, so what are, uh, like, we, we already kind of talked about some of the use cases, but why would somebody want to use JavaScript to um, participate in this, like, Internet of Things? It seems like JavaScript is a really high-level abstraction. 
um, and like really far from the metal. So why JavaScript? Well, I think JavaScript is getting traction everywhere because it's so kind of accessible to such a wide audience and powerful at the same time. You know, not everybody that has a brilliant idea for like an amazing product wants to go out and learn C and how to build their own Linux drivers and how to do the kind of wonky command line James Bond villain sort of stuff. But a lot of different people do know JavaScript or, or are able to kind of pick up JavaScript and use that as, as an <clears throat> entry into this space. Yeah, and I've literally liked being able to kind of separate people. Like, if you have someone who can do the hardware stuff really, really well because that's what they do all day long, then, you know, you can have someone else who's used to doing web apps, like what I do for my job um, to, to build the server and interact with it uh, really easily. Yeah, and, and you mentioned uh, far not very bare metal. Um, that's becoming less and less true by the day. Um, you can now install a modified version of V8 on an ESP2866 Wi-Fi chip that has relatively little RAM, uh, relatively little hardware, and uh, run JavaScript directly. The Esperino engine is uh, actually what I'm, what I'm alluding to here. Um, so um, it's getting closer and closer to the metal uh, as we speak, as we, as we work. Oh, let's make sure we get a link to that in the show notes, uh, Cassandra. That sounds awesome. Very cool. So if I'm, like, totally new to this, how do I get involved in, um, like, in the Internet of Things with JavaScript? Um, I'm asking for a friend, and yeah. I, am, I am my friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, one great way to get started is uh, the Johnny Five library, um, and... Uh, Basically, an Arduino Uno kit and um, a Sane Smart equivalent would even be cheaper. Getting started there. Um, if you're looking for step-by-step -step tutorials, um, disclaimer, I'm the author. There's a book called Learning JavaScript Robotics out now from Pact that uh, will walk you through how to build NodeBots, uh, assuming you already have JavaScript knowledge. There's also Node ARDX, which takes the very popular ARDX Arduino kit and walks you through all of the experiments that come with the kit, but instead of in C, they're in JavaScript. Um, so that's pretty handy. Uh, and of course, all of these will be in the show notes. Um, so yeah, that's, those are the best ways I can think of to get... Oh, and Tesla. Good point, Christina. Tesla. Uh, Tesla 2 just came out, and it is fantastic, and it has a Johnny 5 wrapper, um, or you can use it without, and it runs Node straight on the board, um, and $35 for a web-connected, JavaScript-running microcontroller. Yay! Indeed, and uh, so Tessel and, and our products, the Konoma Create and the Konoma Element, are both things that I would recommend to people that kind of don't want to futz around with a lot of installation and bring up. They're just sort of pull it out of the package, and it has JavaScript running on it. Um, Tessel is an excellent product. Cool. Do you want to talk about uh, the product that uh, you're you're working on right now, the Konoma? Well, sure. What is that like? What role does that play in in Internet of Things with JavaScript? Well, so we have two things. We have Konoma Create, which is this guy right here, and we have the Konoma Element, which is that guy right there. Whoa! Very durable. And um, <laughs> basically, what they are is uh, Konoma Create is a embedded Linux 
box. You know, it's effectively a computer with a touchscreen, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, speaker, microphone, all that sort of stuff built in. And then Konoma Element is just a little Cortex uh, ARM microcontroller uh, with Wi-Fi built in. And so the idea is that with both of them, you get them up and running just by kind of pulling them out of the box and turning them on and then write JavaScript in our IDE and remotely run your applications and debug to the devices. So you plug in your potentiometer, or your sensors, or your whatever else you want to uh, to get up and running for your device. That, that, that's kind of a, something we've alluded to here, but not really talked about, is that most IoT devices are some combination of computing and sensing. And so you want to be able to plug in your color sensor or your temperature sensor or whatever else from SparkFun or Adafruit, uh, and then do some computing with it uh, and, and make decisions and draw your user interface and everything else uh, in JavaScript. Very cool. Um, so it sounds like, if I understand you correctly, like Konoma's goal is to make um, coding with robot or, or uh, doing node bots or, or uh, JavaScript Internet of Things a little bit more accessible to people by providing good hardware and uh, like an IDE that's like specific for it? Yeah, good hardware, good, uh, you know, the good support around the IDE. And then also, actually, what we've done for the past 10 years, uh, and going back actually a little further than that, is we make our own JavaScript runtimes. So in, rather than running kind of V8 or uh, Node's backend, we have our own JavaScript engine called XS. Uh, that's been kind of toned aggressively for, tuned aggressively for uh, this IoT space and for running on embedded. Cool. So, um, what are some of the like exciting things that you can actually build with uh, like Internet of Things, JavaScript? Like, what are, why would somebody really be interested in getting involved in this kind of a thing? So Christina and I aren't the only people in light-up clothes at JavaScript conferences? <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah, that'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell people constantly. I like some, uh, I, I mentioned that all my projects and stuff are open source, and I always use open source hardware when I can. And someone asked me, like, well, aren't you afraid that, like, 50 people are going to show up with your skirt next year? And I'm like, afraid? That would be the best day ever. Like... I would dance, dance party. Right? Like, that would be the funnest thing ever <laughs> because that would also mean we've enabled 50 new people to build something that they thought couldn't exist. Um, and, and that's really what I, like, the, the essence of my answer as well. You can build the things that you want to exist but don't, or that do exist, but you want to make them yourself. Like, there's this very builder intrinsic uh, want to build, like, okay, so like cat feeders. Uh, Rachel White did a fantastic presentation on a cat feeder that was a, a bulk goods dispenser and a node buy. Yeah, you can buy a, an automated cat feeder like for 150 bucks off Amazon that works on Wi-Fi. But why do that when you can build it? Um, so yeah, the answer to that, like what you can build is things that don't exist that you want to or things that exist but you want to know how they work. The best way to know how something works is to build it. Mm -hmm. And then some people will take that great idea and go out and make you know, a million of them and start a business. Cool, yeah. So um, the, the start of the Internet of Things, uh, I don't know, uh, couch. Yeah, that's happening. Uh, <laughs> we, I'm sure we could come up with something really interesting. Uh, yeah, 
we'll bring I got you another table. So um, yeah, I mean, so so to be to to more context on that, I do woodworking. I do any craft known to uh, my sewing room is just full of them. But I'm, I also do woodworking, and I'm building an eight seat table for my front room area because my friends and I play D and D, and uh, we wanted a board game geek table, but the one we wanted was like fourteen thousand dollars, and I, I don't want to pay more for a table than my car. So uh, I'm gonna build one. Uh, and then we were like, well, why not throw a couple Raspberry Pis in there and some NeoPixels, and we could find a way to cool the cup holders. And of course, scope creep went like you know amazingly in that one night. But um, I am I'm actually speaking at Twilio Signal here in a little bit, and I'm gonna have a prototype of one of the seats with me, uh, with the with the NeoPixels and everything working. Um, so yeah, furniture is is definitely something that that we're starting to IOT, like the sleep number bed, I'm just waiting for them to put that on the internet. Like, it'll tweet, this person changed their mattress side to 80. <laughs> like, because we tweet pictures of food, why not tweet our sleep number? Uh. <laughs> yeah, the, the, it sounds like uh, the sky's the limit <laughs> with that. Um, so what about, like, um, it, for people who are getting into this, because, like, I, I guess I'm kind of, focusing on getting into yeah. it because it seems yeah. to me like not enough people are involved in this stuff and there are a lot of people who are just like waiting to get in. Um, and it seems like a lot of all of your effort yeah. is to get people involved in this. So what are some of the common challenges that you see people face as they're getting in, into IoT? What are some of the hard parts about IoT? Or is it like a lot easier than we think it is? It's becoming easier by the day. Um, things like Kinoma, things like Tessel, things like the particle photon, uh, these open source projects and documentation are making it easier by the day. The number, the two challenges I find most often are people are afraid they're going to hurt themselves, break something expensive, <laughs> or um, that they're just not smart enough to do it. And uh, number three, I always start any workshop I do with NodeBots with, yes, you are smart enough, get in here. Um, and when you're working with Arduinos, Tesla's, etc., you can Disclaimer, uh, don't sue me if I'm wrong. You will 99.999% chance not hurt yourself with 5 volts unless you take a bath with your Arduino. Uh, if you get into relays and working with like 120 volts, yes, you, you could hurt yourself. But like lighting up an LED, you're not going to hurt yourself. Uh, soldering iron, you could hurt yourself with. But um, luckily, most of these are plug and play, and you don't have to worry about that. Um, so I, I usually put that disclaimer at the beginning, too, is that with 5 volts, you are very, very, very not likely to hurt yourself. And as for destroying expensive things, luckily, uh, microcontrollers come with lots of fantastic uh, little tiny pieces that prevent you from breaking them. Say you plug something in backwards. Like little bits, for instance, have the magnets, so you can't flip them the wrong way. Um, you know, so it's it's convincing users that you won't break the expensive stuff. You might burn out some LEDs, but they're like five cents a piece. Uh, that they're not going to hurt themselves, and that even though you've never done hardware before, you are smart enough. Um, I always tell people I've only been doing hardware for two years, and now I'm an author, and I go to conferences all the time and speak about robots. And um, I'll I'll be technically a robots expert in a few years. I'm going back for my electrical engineering degree starting in the fall. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, that's hey, awesome. It's terrifying. Yeah. Um, it's a terrifying amount of math involved. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's that's the three most, the biggest challenges I find in getting people interested. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people just see this uh, 
as a bigger leap than it actually is, I think. Like, it, it seems oh, to be a whole different world to go from kind of pixels on the screen to actually physically holding something, you know, a, a real device. Yeah, but, totally. uh, but at the end of the day, it's kind of bits are bits, and you control these things in the same way that you're used to controlling, you know, everything else that you've ever programmed. And so it, it doesn't need to be as intimidating as people initially feel like it is. Yeah, for me, it's just always been about having a good mentor, like someone to help you along with stuff. Like, like if it, if your first, uh, you know, if your first exposure to it is a workshop, like what Cass is saying, with like having, like you're smart enough for this, you're gonna screw up, but you're probably not gonna die, and like it's gonna be okay. Like, uh, thanks for so, putting that probably in there, just in case. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, probably not gonna die, and then um, like. These parts are getting cheaper all the time too, and I think like a big thing for software people is like it's really really hard to write JavaScript so like that like you know, to write JavaScript in a way that will like actually like blow up a device like physically hurt a device. But like when you're wielding a soldering iron, like there's a little bit more of you know the wearing's possibility of actually physically breaking something. Um, but just like this stuff isn't you know buy two and just like go nuts. Uh, because if you're like these microcontrollers now are like five bucks, like the Uno knockoffs, or can be like five bucks or something like that. Yeah, the and, trinkets. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's uh, it's not hard to just um, don't let that be a thing that holds you back. I'm trying. We recently held a bunch of workshops for uh, fourth to sixth grade girls uh, here at the Kenoma offices, and I at one point sat them all down and taught them to solder. So if you can, you know, get fourth grade girls. With their soldering iron not killing themselves, anybody that's listening to this can do it too. Yeah, uh, my mom's a fourth grade teacher, and my dad just taught her to solder. Um, and yeah, she and now she's building NodeBots. So this was a, a couple weeks ago when uh, my dad taught her to solder, and she realized she wasn't gonna hurt herself unless she, you know, wasn't paying attention. Or uh, and she's like, oh well, I've never done code. Um, we mentioned, I think it was Andy that mentioned earlier that JavaScript has like this very accessible sort of interface. Um, yeah, my mom texted me two weeks later with a video of a NodeBot, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is the best day ever!" Like, I was, Super I was cool. so excited. I was, I, I showed all my friends. I tweeted about it. Um, and a, another thing that makes the community accessible, at least the NodeBots community, harkens back to my origin. One of the first people I ever saw for NodeBots was Raquel Velez. Um, and it, it kind of harkens to Christina's uh, mentor note as well. The NodeBots community is one of the is the most um, diverse programming community I have ever participated in. Um, more than half of the core NodeBots group is non-white cis males. Um, lots of women. We are working on um, being less white, uh, as and we constantly police ourselves about being better about who we include and everything that NodeBots does has a code of conduct. Uh, NodeBots Day has a code of conduct, our forums, our Gitter channels. Uh, we adopted the contributor covenant for Johnny5. Uh, I think that's also part of the accessibility as for the NodeBots community is that we are diverse and we recognize that we must always do better because um, I, I say this a lot. Uh, we don't need bad people to make good code. If we foster the right environment 
and we foster the right, you know, the people that, that want to be in this community, good code will follow. We don't need to hold on to the people who are like, oh, well, they're a jerk, but they code real well. Like, no, we don't, we don't need to hold on to those people anymore. Um, if we foster good communities, good code will follow. I love that. I'm going to go tweet that right now. That, uh, I think that's super cool. Um, and I did want to actually get into the community because I'm not really in the NodeBots community. I haven't really done a lot with Internet of Things. Um, I, I once programmed a Sphero and Elite Motion to do stuff together. That was super cool. Then you're, but, uh, then you're a NodeBots person yeah. because, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> you've written a NodeBot, then you are a NodeBots person. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> it is, like, super cool. But every single time I, I look at the NodeBots community or the Internet of Things community, all I see is just really nice people. And so, um, what what like can we talk to, about that a little bit? Like, how does this community uh, manage to uh, create such a welcoming and friendly environment in in something that like seems really intimidating to a lot of people on the outside? It's just magical, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's, like, there's a lot of, like, there's this old-school mindset with hardware because it's been around, um, you know, through the 60s and 70s, and uh, it's that's gotten a lot of um, kind of people with an older mindset who don't want to be as helpful or inclusive. And I think, for me anyway, I do what I do in speaking and trying to reach out to people just because I've hit those roadblocks from the um, older school type of mentality where you're not sharing ideas, like you're keeping it or you're building it in like a basement somewhere and not really sharing that. And I've had people give me the absolute wrong advice but like do it in a way that's like I know what I'm talking about, which is like really, really scary when you don't know what you're talking about and you're like, okay, that doesn't make sense with anything I've ever learned but this person obviously knows it. And like, no, I mean, not necessarily... Uh, this isn't the thing uh, all the time. So, I mean, for me, I do. I try to be like open and teach, uh, just because I want to help people not have to deal with the same um, the people that sort of would have turned me off if I wasn't more stubborn. Mm. There's also this like communal newness to NodeBots. Um, like most of us, I think Raquel has a background in robotics. But most of us in the NodeBots community have not been doing hardware very long. Um, even the folks who like adopted uh, the beginning in, in the beginning of Johnny Five have only been around two years in the hardware scene. So it's uh, it, it, I think that communal newness kind of doesn't like it gives everybody an even playing field because it's like you look at the experts and they're like, oh, well, you've only been around two years, so like if you can do this, I can do this. There's no and I, I talk about this a lot to, um, at conferences too. There's no idols really in NodeBots. There are cool projects, but there's no like, oh, that person is amazing no matter what they do or say. If they say something horrible, it's okay because they did this. Um, no, there's there's we don't have idols in in NodeBots. Uh, we have cool projects and cool products, and I think that also is part of it. Um, is that we we don't have any idols that we allow bad behavior from. Uh, we just have cool projects. Mm -hmm. I would say here in the Valley, especially in the connected devices space, uh, where everybody's doing these little startups and incubators and trying to build their cool IoT thing, we kind of all understand that we're in this together and that like most of these things are going to fail. 
And that's sad in a sense, but it's also kind of inspiring in a sense that there's all these people out there just kind of trying things and building things that you never would have thought could exist, you know, five or ten years ago. And pulling together as a community at, at good you know, meetups and hackathons and things here around the Bay Area just to commiserate about the fact that, like, you know, we're trying something new and for a lot of us it won't go well. <laughs> For uh, my my nana used to tell me when I was riding a bike that failure is the sprinkles on the success ice cream sundae. Um, nice. Yeah, and I, I think she was totally right. Like especially in Nodebots, if you fail the first time you do something and you fail the second time, when you succeed, it feels that much better. You 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 want to like yell that much louder and jump that much higher and run around even more because you're like yes. I did this. It, you know, it couldn't be done, but I did it. Like, yeah. So sprinkles oh, on the ice cream sundae of success. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, you know, more than we bargained for for this show. That, like, you've given us some pretty good, solid uh, life advice. Oh, well, thanks for that. That's, that's cool. So I, I think I want to get a little bit more technical now, um, and. Um, yeah, like let's let's talk a little bit more about like how these things work. Ikani, uh, I think you had a question. So yeah, my question was around uh, more about Johnny Five and the library for doing this Internet of Things with JavaScript. Because back in college, I took a class where I had to use an Arduino to build like some project. I built a weather cube that would like you know communicate with external APIs. But I'm wondering how what does like Johnny Five handle like Wi-Fi or like the various shields that come with the uh, Arduino boards, so is it only with like the default Arduino configuration? And then my second question would be around like memory management of the underlying, you know, um, C code or like C inspired code. Cause I realized, I guess as a computer scientist or like software engineer, we kind of forget that memory isn't really as like infinite or you know as large as we imagine it to be. Uh, in comparison to like you know microcontrollers, you got way less memory to work with. Yeah, I I can tackle those. Um, so for one, uh, with the Arduino board specifically, Johnny Five does not tackle IoT very well. However, uh, Johnny Five is so much more than Arduino now. Um, it supports over thirty-five different platforms. Uh, Tessel, for instance, has a Johnny Five wrapper, and the Tessel handles IoT magnificently. Uh, the Wi-Fi chip is built in on board, and you've got everything you need to get started. Uh, the Particle Photon has a Johnny Five wrapper, um, and one of the things I, I love to say about Johnny Five is when you are writing Johnny Five, you are writing a Node server. So any of the Node modules you use in day to day can be used in tandem with Johnny Five, and also with. Uh, Things like the Kinoma, it'd be outside the realm of Johnny Five, but there are a lot of like so. Nodebots is not just Johnny Five. All Johnny Five bots are Nodebots, but not all Nodebots are Johnny Five. Um, you've got lots of devices coming out that that handle IoT with JavaScript really well. And um, the second question, memory management. So. Uh, on the Arduino platforms, Johnny5 runs for Mata on the board and receives instructions from the computer running the node program. So memory management is not a problem because all the Arduino is doing is processing messages on the Arduino. Uh, the memory management would just be on your laptop where the memory would be almost endless. You'd only have to worry about the same memory leaks you would have to worry about in uh, node programs. Uh, with things like the Tessel, um, it's very good about giving you warnings. 
when you're getting close to uh, memory consumption, much like when you upload an Arduino uh, script in C and it says you've used this much memory, you have this much left. Yeah. Um, Could you, like, purge it and everything like you can in, like, uh, like C? Cause I remember I was, like, communicating with this API that was huge and I had to do something unique with, like, purging out the, uh, or deleting, like, the object. You know, you have to free up memory, like, manually. Um, in order to, like, I cannot speak to Tesla's ability to do that. Okay. Uh, I don't know for sure if it has the ability to do that. Um, I, I can talk a little bit about how we handle the, the those problems. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. So, so in our engine, you know, we we have a pretty aggressive garbage collector in order to kind of minimize these problems uh, while while still not impacting performance in any particularly meaningful way. And we decided that the way we were going to handle this was to really aggressively just follow the JavaScript spec. And so you know, we follow all the rules in terms of you know if your object is attached to a global object or if it's attached to an object that's currently in scope and if you know it's attached to something that's being drawn on the screen, then we keep it and otherwise we sweep it away really aggressively. And so in, in that sense, we sort of allow people to manage their own memory if they have to just by deciding kind of what objects to keep around and what objects to, to disassociate from the, the kind of global tree. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it's my, my computer's so laggy. Thank you. Uh, very cool. <laughs> so um, maybe somebody could take us through, like, the... Um, high-level overview of the Hello World example of like blinking an LED. What exactly is happening? Like maybe we could get pretty technical here, but um, maybe a general idea of what what's happening from the time that I like type my code and hit run uh, to the time that LED actually starts blinking. What are the technical aspects of that like flow of commands and electrons and stuff? You're talking about Johnny Five, right? Um, well, it it could be an abstraction, or I, I'm kind of mostly interested in like how does JavaScript get like converted into some or tra transformed into something that can actually communicate with an LED. Well, so in our case, what you would be doing is on the Kodoma Create, you've got uh, our JavaScript engine running on the device, so we we don't do kind of remote control uh, in the same way that was being described uh, for like an Arduino. We really do kind of interpret directly on the device. And so to say you, you had an LED set up and you say LED dot you know, on, uh, in our case, what that's going to do is trigger a little bit of C code in an extension to the JavaScript engine that on Kenoma Create, which happens to be a Linux system, goes through a Linux driver so we wrote you know, a Linux driver to interface with the actual GPIO pins that are part of the SOC that, that powers this device. Uh, and so JavaScript gets interpreted, triggers a function in C code. C code triggers a function in the kernel. Kernel, which is basically just what's called sysfs. It's this uh, mechanism for interacting with hardware through the file system. Uh, kernel then tells the SOC to make that particular pin high or low. Uh, that pin goes from being you know, 0 volts to 3.3 volts. 
go through the LED LED lights up. <laughs> cool. Thanks for that. Um, I think that's well. It was interesting to me. <laughs> Hopefully, it was interesting. To everyone else. Um, I I could speak a little bit to to Johnny Five as well as uh, other platforms. So cool, yeah. Um, so for Johnny Five, uh, at least on Arduino platforms, it sends a message to the Arduino saying, "I need this pin set to this value," and then uh, the Arduino handles it internally. Uh, it gets a little more interesting when you talk about platforms like the Intel Edison or the uh, BeagleBone Black, basically what I call itty-bitty computers. So they contain everything they need to run um, in a small amount of space. Um, those, it's interesting, you actually, in a lot of cases, write to the file system a specific value at a specific place, and that turns a GPIO to a specific value. Um, which is really interesting to me. It's like a really funny, like it feels like a hack to me. That like I, it's like, oh, I write to this file and an LED turns on, and it's like, but the, that's how a lot of these platforms actually end up working uh, in in the uh, in the software side of it all. Yeah, it's it's really funny to find out that on your yeah. own. Yeah, that's really weird. It, it seems like it's um, like we definitely need an abstraction on top of that kind of crazy API. It's kind of like. You know, nobody likes the DOM, and so we create jQuery, so we don't have to deal with it as much. And um, you know, I guess that's maybe not a, a perfect analogy, but yeah, that's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad that there are ex abstractions like uh, um, uh, Kinoma um, and uh, Johnny Five to kind of hide that away from us. If you ever read the uh, source code for SysFS, which is this thing that does the kind of file system based. Uh, turning on and off of GPIOs and things, uh, you will find that the authors of it would agree with you that it's a hack. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. I'm glad that they've they've done all the hacking so that we can do the making. Uh, so very cool. Uh, we're I, I think we're coming close to our time, and so I'm going to go ahead and just ask, um, what other really cool things are there that you'd like to talk about with the Internet of Things? What have we not talked about already? Well, one thing that I would briefly like to bring up is that uh, the new, we just had over the past you know, year, year and a half, the new ECMAScript 6th edition standard that came out, JavaScript 6. Uh, and ES6 has really brought a lot of features that are important for IoT. Uh, so we're now able to do kind of you know, modules as first order objects, and we're able to do garbage collection in kind of smarter ways. Uh, and the, the whole framework for doing promises, the whole kind of asynchronous framework around that uh, really is a, an excellent fit for IoT devices, which often just kind of want to send out a message and then when something happens, uh, respond to it. So ES6, I think, is a, a, a topic that's going to continue to be incredibly important to JavaScript for IoT. Uh, and our engine is fully ES6 compliant, open source on GitHub. You can check it out. Cool. Uh, so I, before we wrap things up, I, I did want to just get a sense of what people think the future of um, IoT is. So like right now, it's, it's kind of fun. We can make a sweet dress, or we can make a, a cool belt. Um, or we can make, you know, uh, a nest. Um, but, like, I don't think that's the end game for IoT. I think there's a lot of really cool things um, that we can see, like, if we just watch Star Trek. So um, what 
what do you see as each of you? I'm curious what what you see as the future of IoT. I can't wait to see how it can affect um, other things, like civic civically. Uh, I'm working with a startup now that is doing uh, that wants to put light rings on lamp posts. So in Minnesota, we get a lot of snow. Um, you guys do in Utah too, but uh, we have this alternate side parking where it will. You can park on the odd side on one day and then the even side on the other day, and then like there's some places you can't park at at all, and uh, it gets confusing. But we want to put light posts. We want to put lights, um, like colored lights, on the light posts to be able to signal either red or green for can you park on this side of the street or not. And um, there's other things too, of like when there's this when um, I'm gonna I'm talking out of my rear end a little bit about this, but there's like when it starts to flood, they start evacuating roads to park in as the flood waters rise, and so they they do like block off parking in zones in some places, and then having lights on lampposts to kind of signal where you can and cannot park from that um, is really would be interesting, and uh, I'm really excited to see how that takes off in sort of the uh, like kind of more boring than tweet skirts, but in light of clothing, but also like extraordinarily useful things that can help um, the public. Yeah, totally making a difference in the actual world. I, that's, all, I, that, that's part of where I, I view, I, my, my view of the future of IoT is three-pronged. So it's going to affect the real world more and more, much like Christina mentioned. Uh, the middle is it will be more and more accessible. So we're getting really close to uh, being able to unleash uh, an IoT platform on a roof full of kids with very little instruction and have them building their own thing. Um, so the education is definitely a part of it. The third is going to be data aggregation and um, building stronger user profiles out of this network of devices that we're building, which is terrifying and awesome. So like right now, Google has all of my information. Like it knows where I am. It knows where I'm going. It knows what I, where my hair appointment is. Um, and as we build this IoT network um, of devices, we're going to know more and more about users and be able to aggregate more and more of that data to bring them better experiences on the nice side and um, spy on them more on the bad side. And somewhere in the ambivalent middle is you know you're being spied on, but you're willing to accept. The, the downside because of the benefits. So that's, <laughs> I see more robust user profiles and, and a huge uh, demand for data scientists in the future of IoT because the more things we build, the more data we have, the more numbers to crunch, the more data scientists we need. So um, yeah, that's going to be fun. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah, so building off of that, I'll say that my vision of the future of IoT and, and maybe this is aspirational instead of what I actually think is going to happen, but what I hope is going to happen is a more concerted effort towards ownership of products, and, and I mean that in the kind of holistic sense. One of the reasons that I think that JavaScript in particular is important for IoT is because it really opens up the ability to, to modify your product for the end user, you know, not just for the, the company in Silicon Valley that maybe will be out of business in six months, but for everybody in the community and for this kind of, you know, grand world of people building kind of new firmware and new applications to run on top of their devices. 
So I would like to see a world where just like if you don't like the alarm clock that came with your phone, you can download a different app for that. I would like to see you, if you don't like the app that came with your refrigerator, you download a different app for that. If you don't like how your physical alarm clock works, you download a different app for that. And uh, this kind of customizability lends itself, you know, leads into the kind of transparency that we were just talking about, where we want to know what's happening with our data and be able to control that to some extent. Uh, and then also this kind of independence from the company that built the product and hands it to you. There was a big story in the news uh, about a week ago where Nest decided that they were just going to kill off a product line. It was this kind of smart hub thing uh, that, that goes into your house and controls other devices. And there's something incredibly frightening to me about this notion that, that somebody can sell you a product. It's a physical good. You screw it into your house. You've installed it in your wall. And then they can turn around and say, nah, nah we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to turn off your thermostat or your, your home hub. Uh, and I really do think or your placemaker. Like, yeah, you know, whatever, wh whatever it is that we sold you that was going to be amazing. Yeah, and that's just absolutely abhorrent to me. And so I, I think that the future of IoT has to go towards this direction of, you know, people really understanding and owning and being able to change how their own devices work. Yeah, that is kind of. Uh, a scary thought that I hadn't actually really considered is like, yeah, sure, uh, Google can kill Google Reader, um, but, but like, it's not that hard to, to move away from that. Like, you haven't really invested tons in that, but when you screw it into your wall or you put it into your body, um, yeah, if they decide to discontinue the service, that's a problem. So making sure that it's open um, and not so proprietary. I, I'll bet that we have a situation that's very similar to the mobile uh, space where you have um, Apple devices, which are very proprietary. Um, you, uh, unless you do some fancy things, you, you're pretty much stuck with whatever Apple gives you. Um, and then you have the Android devices that are sort of the same in some cases, but it's really a lot easier to kind of customize and, and do what you want. I, I expect that we have refrigerators that are just like, this is what you get, and there's no way to put anything else on. Um, but then you have that the people who are able to like root those devices or whatever and uh, do what they want with them. Cool, okay, so um, we don't have any questions on Twitter, but I'll, I'll keep uh, Twitter open just in case anybody has last minute questions while we get into our tips and picks. So remember, if you do have questions and you're watching live, go to uh, Twitter and tweet the hashtag JSRQuestion, and uh, we are here to answer your questions about IoT. Um, so while we wait for those to come in, um, in droves. We'll go ahead and move to our tips and picks. Um, I'll let uh, Ihani go first, and then I'll go, and then we'll uh, let our guests go. Go ahead. All right, so really, I only had one pick. Uh, I haven't really talked about, um, well, I guess it's something you mentioned. I was at EmberConf like last month, and Ember Fastboot has hit 1.0, so you want to check out a way of server rendering your Ember application for that good SEO and all that, check out Ember Fastboot at emberfastboot.com. And also, uh, shameless plug, I've created a plugin for deploying your Ember Fastboot applications to a DigitalOcean droplet. 
So you can also check that out at uh, on my GitHub. It's called Ember CLI Deploy Digital Ocean. And yeah. Cool. Yeah. Make sure you get that um, CLI um, Digital Ocean thing in your picks too. Um, For sure. Yeah. Cool. So. Actually, I'm excited about that because we're having our show next week with Ember, uh, some some people who do Ember stuff. So, um, yeah, I'm excited like, too. Yeah, it's gonna be sweet. So Ember has done some really amazing things with their Glimmer rendering engine and their um, and Fastboot is super awesome. So cool ideas coming from the Ember team. Um, okay, so for me, I just have uh, one tip: communicate with screencasts. Um, lots and lots of people learn really well from video. Um, lots of people learn from reading too. Um, I'm not one of those people. Video is, is how I learn. And uh, creating screencasts has just become a little bit easier, hopefully, because of one of my picks, which is how to create a bite-sized screencast. And this is a screencast about screencasting uh, that I created. It's on YouTube. And it's a, play a playlist of nine videos. They're like, the longest one is like 14 minutes. Um, and so, yeah, it's um, pretty quick and shows you how to do screencasting, like high-quality, bite-sized screencasts. It's great. Great way to communicate um, how to do things. Uh, you couldn't really do IoT um, super well with that, um, except maybe the coding side of things. But you got to bring a camera in there to show what you're actually building eventually. Um, but uh, yeah, then uh, my next pick is a blog post by Corey House. It is um, entitled Conference Speaker. Here's seven tips for getting accepted. Uh, and so uh, I agree with most of these tips, uh, most like 100% almost of these tips. Uh, great tips. Recommend you check that out. Uh, so let's go ahead and go to Christina. What do you have for us? The mute button is. I, oh, yeah, sorry. I was like going to different tabs. I was like lost in space and time. Um, I wanted to talk about, we were talking about how does JavaScript uh, IoT actually work. Uh, there's a great presentation by Suze Hinton about uh, where she really goes into it, but like with like cats and like cat butlers and like cats, and it was great. It was adorable, first off. Um, and it like goes really deep in how. Uh, like the bits and bytes work, um, and then translate from JavaScript into communicating with an Arduino. So um, that would be my uh, if you if you really want to go there. It's a great resource, both in that it handles like kind of a historically dry subject matter, and like really, really that's in a way that's really interesting. Very cool, um, Cassandra. It sounds like you were really interested in, or, or uh, gave a huge plus one to that. Uh, Cassandra, why don't we go with your tips and picks? Uh, yeah, I, I plus one that, and uh, we're twinsies again, Christina, because my recommendation also has to do with Sue Hinton, because she is amazing and spectacular. Um, so NodeBots is moving beyond just controlling robots. We're starting to subvert the traditional tool chains for robotics, and that includes things like AVR Dude. So AVR Dude is a piece of C code written 20 years ago that has zero unit tests and is used to load all the code on Arduinos ever. Um, yeah, so Suze is writing AVR Girl. Uh, she recognizes that the uh, the acronym is arbitrary, but so was the acronym for AVR Dude. So anyway, uh, she's rewriting it. Um, she's got some really cool libraries, like for Mata Party. If you ever want to use an Arduino Uno with Johnny Five, you used to have to download the Arduino IDE and then follow some instructions and then flash your board. Now you just npm install g for Mata Party, plug in your Uno, hit 
Fermata party, and ta-da, you have Fermata, which is great on Wi-Fi on uh, conferences because instead of downloading 180 megabytes, you are downloading 12. Um, much better. Uh, so that's one of my picks. My other pick is that uh, I get to go to a lot of conferences and speak about robots, um, but my schedule is super full. I get requests all the time. Uh, my twin's sitting right there. Right? Like, okay, and she uh, wants to speak at conferences too. So my second pick is is invite Christina to speak at your conference because she is amazing and awesome. I've I hope my dance kind of sold Thank it. you. <laughs> the one on my left on my screen, so I hope I'm pointing at her on your screen. <laughs> I've actually seen Christina speak at uh, Midwest JS last year. Uh, she's fantastic. So, um, yeah, plus one to that. You're awesome, Christina. <laughs> All right, Andy. I have two picks. My first pick is the band Churches because I went to a Churches concert last night and my ears are still ringing. But, uh, churches was amazing at the Fox Theater in Oakland last night. So if you haven't listened to Churches, it's a good it's a good JavaScript coding soundtrack. Uh, and then my my second pick is uh, BLE hacking. So there's more and more of these BLE devices coming out online through Kickstarter, through Amazon, through everywhere. People are making cool BLE things. And one of the neat features of BLE from a kind of hacker perspective is that it's basically impossible to really close off your APIs if you're building BLE devices. Uh, and so it's really super easy to come in with your Kenoma Create or your, any, you know, your phone, uh, anything that has a kind of BLE chipset in it and make your lights blink in cool ways or make your you know, robot that is controlled, a, a lot of these uh, little Sphero style robots are controlled over BLE and to hack the controllers for those. Uh, so if you're, if you're looking for a fun little project to do, pick up some arbitrary cheap BLE device and, and give it a go. Uh, for the uninitiated, BLE is? Bluetooth low energy, BLE 4.0, Bluetooth 4.0. Cool. Yeah, Cassandra, it looks, like, sure covered that. <laughs> looks like you're a big fan of uh, Church also. Oh, yeah. No, they're amazing live. They're, 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 their music on album is great. It's live, it's a whole other like, thing. Yeah, no, great music. Cool. So I actually thought of another pick that I wanted to make sure that I got out there, and that is... Uh, the most recent episode of The Changelog. This is another podcast that I listen to and totally love, um, but it's episode number 200. Uh, it's called JavaScript and Robots with Raquel Velez, and I think there's a lot of love for Raquel on this uh, podcast. She's super awesome, and uh, during that podcast, she describes like the perfect method for teaching, where it's like, get people excited about something first, and then they will be motivated to into learning, and like, Learning will be a side effect of their excitement to like build something awesome. So, anyway, it was a great episode. I recommend that everybody go check it out. So I'm going to add that to my picks. Um, so yeah, we. Uh, um, so go ahead. The diversity thing. Did you all notice that every single NodeBots pick was non-male? Look at that. That was <laughs> awesome because it was Sue's and Raquel. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, I've actually noticed that, uh, uh, like you said, Cassandra, um, it is uh, the NodeBots community is very diverse, um, and I think that is um, kind of complements its ability to be really welcoming and friendly, um, because you know we're kind of all in this together, and it's awesome. So that's very cool. Okay, sweet. So I'm gonna wrap us up. Um, so thanks everybody for for coming to the show. Just uh, 
to give a quick shout out to our silver sponsors. They are O'Reilly Flu uh, Fluent Conf, Auth0, and Trading Technologies. So uh, check them all out in the show notes. Um, very cool. Auth0, shout out um, for Cassandra there. <laughs> Cassandra works at Auth0. Uh, so thank you. Uh, I, I work there. It's not past tense. I work there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Awesome. And then, so let's just a uh, couple links for you all. Um, if you have suggestions for the show, this actually was a, uh, this show was a suggestion. Go to suggest.javascriptair.com, and uh, you'll be taken to a forum where you can give me a suggestion on topics or guests that you'd like to have on the show. Um, and then go to feedback.javascriptair.com to submit feedback. And I should say on the suggestions, I've gotten a lot of suggestions. And so if if I haven't done your suggestion yet. Don't feel bad. They're just—it's a huge backlog, and so I've got to uh, deal with that. I, I do read every single one of your suggestions. I care about you. And same thing on the feedback. Um, I read all of uh, the feedback and and really appreciate that. Um, if you'd like me to respond, please leave your contact info because there, I have received some feedback. And I want to like get back to you about it. Um, and then uh, we do have a newsletter. Uh, if you go to jsr.io/email. Um, that will take you to uh, our uh, MailChimp newsletter where you can get show notes and uh, behind the scenes like after the show and show highlights and stuff like that. So it's awesome. Um, and then remember next week we're going to be chatting about Ember. It's going to be sweet. Um, and yeah, that's it for our show. So thank you very much everyone for coming on. This is a great discussion. So thank you. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was sweet. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.